Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Happy Easter, Lake Point family. It is so good to be with you guys. That's right, baby. (laughs) Hey, um, if you're gathering with us, if I get a little emotional this morning, it's because I am. Um, We are gathering right now with not just our six campuses all over the DFW area. Guys, we are gathering right now with billions, with a B, billions of Christians all over the world to celebrate the greatest moment in human history. (laughs) The moment on which our faith is built. Guys, the tomb is empty. God's son and our savior, Jesus Christ, is risen from the dead. And now he lives to give life to all who call on his name. And we gather under that today. And man, uh, what I know is we're not just gathering, you know, with people from our church. I know we've got hundreds, probably actually thousands um, of people who, whether grandma dragged you or you got invited to Starbucks, it's your first time with us. And And we want you to feel the welcome home of Jesus uh, as you gather under his name today. So Lake Point family at all of our campuses, will you help me show our guests how honored we are that they're here? Let's do that right now. Come on. That's right. Let's do that. Yeah, we really, really are. Well, hey, we don't have a lot of traditions here at Lake Point, but we do have one where every Easter um, I take a, a, a survey on Easter, an annual survey, because it's the one time a year when everybody actually comes on the same week. And so if you do this, if everyone at every campus could grab it, it says connect card on the front, but it's an Easter survey in the back. If everybody could grab that right now, do it, grab that right now. If for no other reason, even if you're not going to fill it out, do it to boost my self-esteem. You can help me out. And on the front here, you can just, we can get updated information for you, and that'd be awesome. But I really want you to see where it says prayer requests, and we take that really seriously. Um, we're going to Hold and pray for every single prayer request by name in the next few weeks. And guys, we, we want to pray for you. And so if you've got something that we can be praying for, we want to take that to the throne of heaven on your behalf. But then on the back is where I really need your help leading our church. You'll see at the top here, there's a question right under 2021 annual Easter survey where it says, what are the greatest areas of stress that people experience? And what I do with that. Is, is I want every message I preach at Lake Point to pass kind of what I call the who cares test. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually helping you. And if you could do that and just check the boxes that you know, reflect your life, uh, or if there's, you don't see something there that's going to help you, you can just fill out in the other section. Just put anything that comes to your mind that, that would be helpful. And, and that would be helpful to me because I'm going to take the top responses and actually craft a message series towards that later in the year. So please help me kind of lead our church, and that'd be awesome. You can do that when the message gets boring, and, uh, and we can drop that off at the end of, end of the time today. Well, we'll come back to this uh, here in a second. Let me get right into the Easter message today. That's why we're here. And uh, let me start like this, is that let me just acknowledge that we all, we love a good comeback story. Everybody loves a good comeback story. As uh, long as it doesn't involve Tom Brady, we all love a good comeback story. 
And, uh, and, and so, uh, you know, we just know this. There's something in us that just rises up and wants to see a great comeback story. That's why um, earlier, it was about two years ago, as a grown man, I was choking back tears watching this moment happen in my living room. You know, it's the story of Tiger Woods at the height of his career, and then his life falls apart with addiction, his body falls apart, 10 surgeries, his career falls apart. He actually wonders if he'll ever play golf again. And I'm sitting in my living room, eyes sweaty, watching this guy win the 2019 Masters. Um, you know, not, not every comeback story um, is a sports comeback story. Uh, a lot of us love the story of Robert Downey Jr. Some of the ladies just had a spiritual moment right there. That was, that was happening. And uh, Robert Downey Jr., you know, life falls apart with addiction, goes into rehab, spends time actually in prison, comes back and becomes the highest paid male actor in Hollywood one year as Iron Man. Or or stories like Bethany Hamilton um, has her arm taken off by a shark at the age of 13, but she doesn't stay down while she's competitive surfing. She fights back, comes back all the way to surf in the World Surf League Junior Championships. And then this next one, I'm about to figure out how Dallas you are, okay? I'm counting this next one as a comeback story. And now some of you already know where I'm going here, okay? What you're looking at is a moment that lives in Dallas infamy. This is a 2015 playoff game, Cowboys-Packers. Uh, fourth and two, into the fourth quarter, Cowboys down five. Tony Romo drops a dime to Dez, and I'm counting it as a comeback story because here's what we all know. Dez caught it. We all know that. Dez caught it. So I'm counting that as a comeback story. Well, listen, we all love a comeback story. and Here's why. Because there's going to come a moment in your life where you need one. And really, this has been a year of not a comeback. It's been a year of the setback. You know, for a lot of people, this was a year it just felt like a, a, a gut punch, whether it was the pandemic or the election or the lockdown. And all the data shows that people right now, they're just struggling to survive. Rates of suicide, depression, divorce, substance abuse, they're at an all-time high. Now, I want you to hear this from me. I don't know what caused your setback. Here's what I do know. Now's the time for your comeback. Because Jesus Christ came back from the dead, and now that power is available to you to you, to bring you back from whatever your setback has been. But it's only available through Jesus. That power is only available through Jesus. And so here's what I want to do in the next few minutes. I want want to hit two things. One, you are not crazy for considering and believing that somebody came back from the dead. And two, you have even more reason to believe it when you understand why. Okay? So let me get right at it. One, you're not crazy for believing that someone came back from the dead. You're not crazy. In fact, I just want to point this out to you. This is, this is 1 Corinthians 15. Here's what Paul says. He says, watch this. For I received, so what I saw, I passed to you. And I passed the thing that was of first importance. And here's what it is. First, first importance. That Christ died, in accordance, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. That's first importance. And then he says, and... That he appeared, not, not listen, he says, if you don't believe me, that's fine. He says, he appeared to more than 500 other people, most of whom are still alive. Paul says, you don't believe me, that's fine. Go ask them. Go ask the eyewitnesses. Now, let me ask you this question. What does Paul mean when he says that this was the thing of first importance? Well, can we just acknowledge something in the room really quick? There are a lot of significant differences among the people of God. Uh, Methodists do not recognize the need for baptism by immersion. Protestants do not recognize the Pope as an authority. Baptists do not recognize each other in the liquor store. (laughs) 
<laughs> Welcome to Lake Point, you know. <laughs> but watch this. If you were to take all the Catholics in the world and all their divisions and put them over on this side of the room, and then you were to take all the Protestants and all their divisions and put them over on this side of the room, and you were to take the charismatic hand raisers and the Presbyterian frozen chosen and the informed and the reformed and the deformed and put them all over the room, there is one thing every single person in the room would agree on. Do you know what it is? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried in a tomb. And that three days later he got out of that grave. And now he lives to give life to all who call on his name. And watch this. 2,000 years later, more songs have been sung to him. More books have been written about him. More paintings have been painted of him than anyone else in human history. In fact, human history is divided by the coming of one man. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The messenger sent from God. God himself to die on a cross for your sins. All of history is divided into A.D. and B.C. by the coming of that man. In fact, every event in history is dated by the resurrection. And now 2.3 billion people, one out of every three people on earth, worship him as Savior. Why? Why do so many people follow that one man? Well, it's because God accomplished the resurrection in such a way that he gave us proof for a confident and a bold faith. Not like a, ah, I wonder if it happened. Not like a, nah, I really hope it was a thing. He gave it to us in a way that we've got proof for a confident and a bold faith. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Now listen, I, I, if you don't believe me, let me give an example of this from the CIA. So when the CIA, when somebody from another country wants to defect and become a double agent for the CIA... What the CIA does to make sure there's no possibility of misidentifying the person is they offer several layers of identity verification so that there's a 0% chance they get it wrong. So true story, a few years ago, somebody defected from the Soviet Union to become a double agent for the American CIA. And this person was given six layers of verification. So, so watch this. Here's how they knew that that's the one. Here's how they knew. Number one, in, in Mexico City, one, he was to write a letter to the secretary signing his name as, quote, I. Jackson. After three days, two, he was to go to the Plaza de Colón in Mexico City, and three, at noon, stand before the statue of Columbus, with four, his middle finger placed in a guidebook. When he, in a guidebook. When he was approached, five, he was to say it was a magnificent statue, and six, despite his Russian accent, that he was only visiting from Oklahoma. Okay, now watch this. If you saw that and you saw one person do all six of those things, you would think there was a 0% chance that that wasn't the one that was sent. 0% chance. Guys, God's way of verifying his son, his messenger, was through prophetic layers of identity verification. Except he didn't give six. There are no less than 322 direct prophecies specifically about Jesus that he fulfilled when he came. And guys, they're not the type of vague predictions that your horoscope makes. You will meet someone mad today. No, no. They were very, very specific. They prophesied things like what tiny city he'd be born in, that he'd be born to a virgin, that he'd be betrayed for exactly 30 pieces of silver. They prophesied the exact hour of his death, that when he died, his hands and his feet would be pierced, that he'd be buried in a borrowed tomb, that he'd be resurrected to new life. Guys, 322 direct layers of verification. You can have a bold faith that Jesus Christ was the one sent from God to save us from our sins. 
That's a bold faith. This was not some story just made up by a group of people. You know, that's what a lot of people think. It's like what modern scholarship, that's the consensus. Oh, they all kind of made up this story and kind of went along with it. Think about this for a second, how insane that is. Okay, when people lie, they always do it for an advantageous reason. To get ahead in life or to position themselves for a raise or financial benefit. To get ahead socially, to avoid some sort of discomfort. Guys, do you know what the people, the more than 500 witnesses that testified to seeing Jesus resurrected, do you know what that story got them? Death. Death. Man, years ago, I uh, had a chance at my senior year of college. I was the campus escort for a man named Chuck Colson. Some of you will remember that name. Chuck Colson, when he was, he was a special advisor to President Richard Nixon during the Watergate scandal. If you don't know what the Watergate scandal is, I don't have time to explain it. It's a presidential scandal that happened in a far off land known as the 1970s. But yeah, that's what he, so, and he was one of these guys. And after Watergate happened, what Chuck Colson described was that the six men who committed that crime, when they realized that like, oh, like we're going to get prosecuted for this. He said, before they talked to any authorities, they all got together in a room, all six of them. Chuck Colson said they were the, the toughest men he'd ever known. Some of them were former special forces leaders. Some of, them, some of them had been leaders in the Marine Corps. He said they were the most tough, battle-hardened, mentally and physically people he had ever known. And they all got together in a room and they decided on a story that they were all going to stick to no matter what. And they vowed to one another that no matter what happened, no matter what threat came, no matter what, what loss they experienced, they would stick to that story to stay out of more trouble. Do you know what happened? In two and a half weeks, every single one of them had broken and confessed their lie because they had been offered a reduced jail sentence. Now compare that to the fact that all 11 disciples, some of them demonstrable proven cowards, and all 500 people that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, every single one of them was willing to go to their grave. They died testifying to the fact that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. Guys, in the words of Blaise Pascal, witnesses who are willing to have their throats cut suddenly become believable. You have a reason. If you've never considered it before, you have unbelievable, insurmountable reason to base your life on the fact that Jesus Christ actually was raised from the dead. But listen, you don't just have reason. Whenever you understand why, you've got even more reason. Now, track with me. What I'm getting ready to say is admittedly very brutal. But I don't think you can understand the love of God without understanding the death of God. So let me explain to you the death of God. Whenever we talk about Jesus being crucified for our sins, we're talking about something unbelievably obscene. Um, in fact, a crucifixion, it was a, a form of capital punishment that was invented by the Persians but perfected by the Romans with two purposes. To inflict the greatest amount of pain while simultaneously inflicting the greatest amount of shame a person can experience. It was so awful, so vile, that any dignified Roman person would not even utter the word crucifixion. You guys remember years ago, there was that, uh, that movie that came out when I was in college, The Passion of the Christ. And, and just the depiction of the crucifixion in that movie, it moved people to convulsion and tears, sometimes shaking. Uh, there are stories of people passing out in theaters. Guys, you just need to know this. If anyone ever actually depicted a real crucifixion, there is no theater anywhere that would be allowed to show it. When someone was crucified, remember, the only goal wasn't excruciation, it was humiliation. 
When someone was crucified, they were stripped completely naked and died in that state. Uh, we we, t- we, we kind of think that, man, you know, people were crucified and maybe, you know, a, a, a private place, that kind of thing. No, no. When people were crucified to send a message, they were crucified in the most public possible place, the main thoroughfare or intersection in your city. Or think about somebody being crucified in the, the parking lot of a, a Walmart or a, a busy mall. That's where somebody was crucified. Now, again, the only goal wasn't humiliation. It was excruciation. Before somebody was crucified, they were whipped with something called a cat of nine tails. It was a very long leather strip interwoven. What they would do is they would take pieces of broken pottery and sharp glass shards and weave them into the leather strips so that when a person was beaten with a cat of nine tails, that, those sharp edges would embed themselves in the flesh of a man. And as it was pulled off, it would literally rake the flesh from his back. Eyewitness accounts describe people being crucified having their bare, the bare backs of their rib cages exposed, exposed nerve endings just lying there on their back. And after that happened, a multi-hundred pound roughshod splinter full crossbeam was placed on their shoulders for them to carry to the place where they would be executed. When they got there, the Romans had enough medical knowledge that they realized that there were bunches of nerve endings in your wrists and in your ankles. And so they scientifically placed those spikes in the places where they would cause the greatest amount of pain among the greatest, the largest radius in your body while you were dying. When somebody died of crucifixion, guys, they didn't die of pain. They didn't die of bleeding. They died of asphyxiation. They choked to death on their own blood. And so in order for a person who is being crucified to gasp, to get each breath, they would have to pull up on those spikes through the nerve endings in their wrists and in their ankles to gasp for every single breath. But the pain was so great that around the time of Jesus, there are historical accounts. What men began to do is they would literally intentionally break the bones in their wrists and pull the spikes through the flesh of their arm so that they no longer physically had the ability to pull up for the next breath, thus ending their lives as quickly as they could. So around the time of Jesus, what the Romans began to do is they began to fix a seat to the middle of a cross so men could no longer commit suicide. They wanted the longest amount of possible pain. And so in that pain, what men began to do, historical records, is that they would sometimes break their hips or dislocate their hips so that they could slide off of those seats, just ending their pain as fast as possible. So what the Romans did is they countered And around the time of Jesus, they began to drive a nail through the genitals of a man to keep him on the cross. The pain of crucifixion was so great that very often men's bodies would just become incontinent and they would release all the waste inside. The foot of a cross was caked with blood, sweat, urine, and feces. The smell of it would wash over cities for miles and miles and miles. And records show that lowlifes would gather around in front of lines of crosses laughing at you should you cry out, mocking you because of your naked anatomical build or placing bets on which man would die first. And Jesus hung on a cross, choking on his own blood for six hours. This was done to God. Why? Once upon a time, There's a story of an ancient king who was simultaneously the fairest and most loving king who had ever lived. And it was discovered that somebody had been stealing from the king's treasury. And so the fair king issued a decree that whenever it was discovered who had stolen from his treasury, the person would be whipped with 10 lashes. 
but the thievery kept happening. And so he issued a second decree and it went to 20 lashes. The thievery kept happening and so he issued a final decree and he said when it was discovered who was stealing from him, the person would receive 40 lashes, an effective death sentence. Two days after the final decree, it was discovered that none other than the king's own daughter was the one who was stealing from his treasury. And so a question arose in the kingdom. Will the king, the most loving king that has ever lived, how could he kill his own daughter? And there was a debate among the kingdom. Some people thought that because the king was very loving, he would never issue, he would never follow through with the punishment. But then, how would he be fair? And some people thought that he would definitely follow through with the punishment. But then, how would he be loving towards his own daughter? Well, the king looked at the law and he decided that the law was clear. The punishment had to fall. And so on that fateful day, the king's very own daughter was brought before the, uh, the entire assembled kingdom. She was marched down the center aisle in front of everyone, a public spectacle for her, uh, her execution to happen uh, publicly. Uh, she was stationed over the executing block. Her shirt was ripped open, exposing her back. The executioner raised his whip, and just before the first lash fell, a voice from the very back of the crowd yelled, Stop! And the king himself stood up. And he walked down that exact same aisle. He stood before his daughter, ripped his own shirt off, wrapped his body around his daughter, looked over his shoulder at the executioner and said, now hit her. The executioner objected. I'd never be able to hit her without striking you, O king. But the king said, I have issued you a command and you obey that command. Carry out the execution. And so with the king's own body wrapped around his daughter, The 40 lashes fell, and he shielded his daughter from every single one and died there on the stump. Guys, listen to me. Jesus did not just die for you. He died instead of you. Isaiah 53 says this. It says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his stripes we are healed. Guys, if you want to know how big a deal sin is to God, look at the cross. But watch this. If you want to know how big a deal you are to God, look at the cross. Guys, God died for you. Jesus went to a cross to take away every sin, every mistake, every transgression you have ever committed. But watch this. The good news. The death of Jesus was not the end of Jesus. When Jesus hung on that cross, his final words were, it is finished. He did not cry out, I am finished. And if he's not finished, then you're not finished. Because the same power that raised him from the dead is available to you to bring life to the dead things in your, to bring life to the dead things in your life. Guys, I I love this. Let me show you my favorite Easter verse. Here's my favorite Easter verse. It's Romans 8, 11. It just says it like this. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead He lives in you. He lives in you. In other words, Easter's not just something to be celebrated. It's something to be experienced. And then it says, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, in the same way, with that same power, he will give life to your mortal, to the dead things in your life. He can do that for you. Years ago, I was reading uh, an old theologian, a guy named Frederick Buechner. Frederick Buechner was commenting on the resurrection And he said, the resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. In other words, here's what the resurrection means. The resurrection, the power that's available to you in the resurrection means that when you get it, you don't have to do the things you used to do because in Christ, you're not the person you used to be. 
The worst thing is never the last thing, so the worst thing in your life never gets the final word. Uh, you know, I want to give you a visual illustration of this. Let me show you some things. That, here's what that means. If the resurrection is true, there are some things that means do not get the final word in your life. Number one, if the resurrection is true, it means that guilt does not get the last word in your life. And I know some of you are watching this message right now, and you're going, yeah, Josh, but you don't understand what I've done, what I've thought, who I am, what I'm doing even right now. You don't understand what I've done. Listen, my problem is not that I don't understand what you've done. Your problem is that you don't understand what he did. <laughs> Guys, what you've done, what you've done absolutely may deserve condemnation. But Jesus Christ came to bear condemnation in your place so that now there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that means that guilt doesn't get the final word in your life. If the resurrection is true, it means that addiction does not have the final word in your life. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, he released a power that could overcome the grave itself. And that means that no matter how bad sin has wrecked your life, no matter how many relationships your sin has destroyed, when you call on the name of Jesus, he can release a power that can restore what sin has broken. And that means that addiction does not get the final word in your life. And if the resurrection's true, it means that pain does not have the last word in your life. Yes, we live in a veil of tears where I've heard it said that everything that we love, we watch eventually fall apart in our lives. And that's been some of your lives this year. Some of you this year, you watched your family fall apart. You watched relationships that you have held so dear fall apart over an election. Some of you this year, you had somebody that you loved very dearly succumb to Alzheimer's and their body's still here, but their mind is still gone and you'll never get that person back. Some of you, you lost somebody that you love very, very dearly. You may have even lost a child. But listen to me, if the resurrection is true, what that means is that Jesus will someday take us to a place where we will be resurrected in bodies. We will be reunited with our loved ones. He will wipe away every tear from every eye. He will take away every pain. And that means, in the words of one of my favorite theologians, D.A. Carson, what that means is you're not suffering from anything that a good resurrection cannot fix. And that means that pain will not get the final word in your life. And if that's true, it means that despair does not have the last word. Because as long as Jesus is alive, there's hope for you. It means that when, when it feels like you're in the darkest of nights, it means that Jesus can bring the dawn of a new life into that dark grave that you are in. And if you're, listen to this, if your hope is anchored in Jesus, the worst case scenario, the worst case scenario for your life is resurrection and everlasting life, which means that despair does not get the final word in your life. And if all that's true, then most importantly, it means that death, death does not have the last word because one day he's gonna bring our bodies out of that grave just like his. Guys, resurrection is not something that happened to Jesus only. It's something that happened to Jesus first and we will be reunited with him for eternity. And in that moment, our real lives, our true lives, the lives that we were always created to live will really begin in that moment. In 2018, when one of my spiritual heroes, Billy Graham died, there was a little Billy Graham quote that everybody put up everywhere. And years earlier, Billy Graham had said, one day you will hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe it. I'll be more alive than ever. I will just have changed addresses. Because if the resurrection's true, death does not get the last word in your life. Listen, all of that is available to you. 
He died to take away everything bad you've ever done. And he rose again to supply everything good that he can bring you into. And that's available to you by faith. You can't earn it. You can't like, well, you know, I go to church every now and then. Guys, going to church doesn't make you Christian any more than sticking your head in the oven makes you a biscuit. It just doesn't work like that. It's not like, man, you know, hey, I was raised in a Christian family. God didn't have grandkids. God didn't have grandkids. Because the only way that that power is released into your life is by faith. And to those who believed him, who called on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, this is usually the part in the sermon where I go, everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm not gonna do that today. What I need you to do is I need you to go back to that survey we started with. And everybody, I really want you to grab this right now. This is really important to me. You make this a personal favor to me, you know. Uh, do this right now. Everybody grab this and it just boosts my self-esteem. You can get it. And at the bottom there, I want you to go to that spot where it just says A. B, C, and D. A, B, C, and D. And I'm not asking you to make a decision right now. All I'm asking is for you to just identify where you stand with Jesus. That's all I want you to do, all right? So check one of these boxes here. Let me explain them, all right? I want you to check A if you'd say, man, I'm already in a committed relationship with Christ. And again, here's what I'm not saying. I wanna make this really clear. I'm not saying, well, you know, I guess I'm a Christian. You know, when I take a census, I'm not an atheist. I'm not a Muslim. So I guess I'm a Christian. No, no. I'm like, do you have a relationship with him? Have you given him your life? I'm already in a committed relationship. Now, B, (laughs) B, some of you, you've been around Lake Point four, six weeks. Maybe this is your first time and something's welling up within you and you're realizing that you need to cross a line of faith. B is the person who's going, man, I need to begin a real relationship with Jesus. And do that. Just check that right now. You're just going, yeah, I'm being honest. I need to begin that relationship. Check B. Now, C. In some ways, C is like the whole reason this church exists. I want you to check C if you'd say, man, I just need some more time to consider it first. We say, at Lake Point, we say this is a place where it's safe to belong before you believe. It's okay if you're like, dude, I just need to consider it more. That's fine. Just check C. Now, D, I love honest people. So I just want you to be honest if this is you. It's okay. I want you to check D if you're going, you know, honestly, man, I don't ever intend to make that decision. Just honest. That's okay. So right now, where are you? A, B, C or D, it's important for you to know, because listen to me, only a fool goes through life unprepared for what's inevitable. A, B, C, or D. Now, if you're here and you checked B, and right now you're realizing that you need to cross a line of faith and give your life to Christ, now, could everybody at every campus, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And if that's you, and you're realizing that you need to cross that line, would you just pray this with me from a sincere heart? Just pray, Father, I know I've sinned. And put other things in my life first besides you. Now pray this, but I believe that Jesus died for my sins. (laughs) Pray, and I believe 
he rose from the dead to give me new life. Pray this from a sincere heart. From this day forward, as best as I know how, I will live for you first. Pray, I receive the gift of life in Jesus by faith. Thank you, God, for adopting me as a son or a daughter. Now, if you prayed that, keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. And if you prayed that for the first time, or maybe for the first time to sincerely give your life to Christ, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to shoot your hand up in the air. And here's why I'm doing that. Because I believe that something solidifies in you spiritually when you respond physically. So on the count of three, if that's you, let's do this. Hands in the air. One, God loves you. Two, you came here for a reason today. Three, hands in the air real high right now. Real high right now. Oh man, all over the room. Keep them up real high right now. If you're like, man, I'm crossing a line of faith today. Today, hands in the air. Oh man, I see couples raising hands together. Man, hands up right now. God, I'm yours all over the room. Man, yes, amen. Man, amen, amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church slash digital.